Tomorrow, February 23rd, marks the 155th anniversary of the birth in 1868 of W.E.B. Du Bois, who was a prominent sociologist, historian, civil rights activist, and one of the founders of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, the NAACP. At Carnegie Hall on February 23rd in 1964, what would have been his 96th birthday, Friends and supporters gathered for a memorial service to honor the life and legacy of Du Bois after his death in Ghana the August before. Actor Ossie Davis was one of the event's organizers and noted historian John Hope Franklin, who was a speaker, mentioned Du Bois' cultural and artistic work, according to Philip Sintier, meaning Du Bois' novels and poetry. W.E.B. Du Bois died the very day before Martin Luther King Jr. delivered his powerful I Have a Dream speech, ending with the hope, as it did, that, as King said, we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. As it happens, W.E.B. Du Bois had written a poem in which he has a dream, sounding a note of despair, though, and he looks to Africa to Ghana, perhaps, as a place where King's dream might be better realized. The opening here of Ghana Calls by W.E.B. Du Bois, dedicated to Kwame Nkrumah. I was a little boy at home with strangers. I liked my playmates and knew well whence all their parents came. From England, Scotland, royal France, from Germany and off by chance, the humble Emerald Isle. But my brown skin and close-curled hair was alien, and how it grew, none knew. Few tried to say, some dropped a wonderful word or stray, some laughed and stared. And then it came. I dreamed. I placed together all I knew, all hints and slurs together drew. I dreamed. I made one picture of what nothing seemed. I shuddered in dumb terror in silence screamed, for now it seemed this I had dreamed. How up from hell a land had leaped, a wretched land, all scorched and seamed, covered with ashes, chained with pain, streaming with blood in horror lane, its very air a shriek of death and agony of hurt. Anon I woke, but in one corner of my soul I stayed asleep, forget I could not. But never would I remember that hell-hoist ghost of slavery and woe. I looked on poverty and foul disease. I walked with death, and yet I knew there stirred a doubt. Were all dreams true? And what in truth was Africa? The opening of the poem Ghana Calls by W.E.B. Du Bois. As we know, poetry is a powerful means of expressing the range of human experience and emotions, and young students here in northeastern Pennsylvania who are learning the history of the leading figures of black history in America are also working with words, shaping poems to express their questions, their sorrows, their pride, their fun, with a poet, artist, and teacher who believes, as Du Bois did, in the power, possibility, and beauty of language. The NAACP Wilkes-Barre branch, number 2306, 
educates, raises questions about current events, forms partnerships with community groups working for justice and change, and encourages young people in finding their voices and expressing themselves with pride. This Saturday, February 25th, the organization will present its first annual historical poetry and writers event at the Gather Community Space in Wilkes-Barre. David Yonkai, first vice president, and Rose Daniels, second vice president, paid a visit to the WVIA studios to talk about the history of the NAACP and the mission of the Wilkes-Barre chapter. It was founded on February 12th, 1909. Why was that 1909 number significant? Because Abraham Lincoln was born on February the 12th, 1809. So the NAACP organization was founded as a kind of tribute to him. What better way for the person who emancipated people of color than to have the national organization, the NAACP, founded on the 100th anniversary of his birth? So that's how it was founded. Is the mission the same today as it was at the start? Have things changed? Pretty much a social justice mission. But again, it's evolved in the sense that we're getting more involved in letting people know exactly what we stand for. Because white people actually were involved in the founding of the NAACP. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to expand our branch to everybody. There's people of color. There's Hispanics. There's indigenous people that basically all have the same issues, if you will, sometimes with non-acceptance. So we, we want to try to expand our whole branch and expand our horizons. Because when you say NAACP, they immediately say, well, you know, you're not African-American. What are you doing in it and everything? So It's about it's, civil rights. Yeah, it's about civil you rights know? for everybody. That includes everybody, expansion with everybody, LGBTQ, you know. I'm interested because there's an age difference between both of you. So your lived experience would be different. You're from New York originally, Rose, yes. right? And Dave, you've been living here most of... Most of my life, yeah. So there are some differences, and yet you're both drawn together to not just be part of the group, but to be actively involved on the board. Let's start with you, Rose. You're an artist, you're a student, you've got a business, so you've got your hands full. What drew you to being part of the organization? So I'm just going to go back to when I grew up in New York for a minute. We were very, very much educated about our black history. Where I grew up was a predominantly black town. And so that was like at the top of our education. Like our teachers made sure we knew our history. And I could walk down the halls and I'll see black historical figures listed and hung up in the hallways. Like just any day, every single day. You look up, there's someone, there's someone. So I actually knew about the NAACP from my youth, and it was inspiring to hear about all the work they did. So when I got here and I was able to meet Jamel Khalees, who was our former president, he came to meet me at the Catholic Youth Center where I work, and he wanted to see how we could partner up and work with each other. And that's how I got pulled in, you know? I was magnetized. His energy and his passion for people and our people, black people in our area, it just really just rang true to me. And I knew this is something I need to be a part of. It was like full circle. And David, you've always been a person of principle. But when did you start working with this group? Well, I started working with this group in 2015, but it was a little bit of a longer journey. When I was nine years old, I had the childhood trifecta of diseases, measles, mumps, and chickenpox. And I was in my bedroom. I was quarantined in my bedroom for like five weeks. 
And the only thing I had as a partner, if you will, was my radio. And nine years old back then, radio was vastly different than it is now. There used to be network programming. Every single affiliate had a half-hour news program on. So I had no choice but to listen to that. And I started hearing about Martin Luther King Jr. I started hearing about the Civil Rights Movement. And I started hearing about all these people that were working with King, Dr. Ralph David Abernathy, who's a personal hero of mine. But I got involved by listening to it. But it really didn't move me or anything like that because at nighttime, I would listen to baseball. And I got out-of-town stations. Then one night, I had the St. Louis station on. And the St. Louis station basically said, well, you know, the baseball players that we were expecting were a little late tonight because they couldn't get out of their hotel. And the St. Louis Cardinals were playing the San Francisco Giants. And the players that they named were Willie Mays, Juan Marichal, Orlando Cepeda, the Alou brothers. There was all three of them, Maddie, Jesus, and Philippe. They all played on the same team. So I got out my baseball cards and I started looking at the cards And I saw that they were all men of color. So I actually went to my father and I said, hey, what goes with this? Why were they late? And why were they staying in their hotel? And my father at that time explained to me what segregation was all about. Because during World War II, he wasn't in the armed forces, but he was an essential employee who basically worked on the railroad. And he worked with gentlemen of color from the Allentown area. And he saw firsthand in the North how they were accepted, but still not really, really accepted. So I got involved in that. And that was like an eye opener for me at the age of nine. And then throughout my high school career and my grade school career, I saw the Civil Rights Act pass in 1964, in 1965, the Voting Rights Act, in 1968, the Fair Housing Act. And through my adulthood, I had just assumed that these were going to be in place. And right around 2010, 2011, 2012, all of a sudden, there were people in the country who were in power basically saying, well, you know, the Civil Rights Act of 1964, we should really scale that down because everybody is totally accepted. The Voting Rights Act, don't worry about that. I mean, you know, that has to be scaled down. And that's what got me to the NAACP in 2015, because all of these things that I saw that were set in stone, I thought, as a child and as a preteen and adult, they were all going away. And I thought to myself, I knew what the struggle was in terms of not being part of it, not being physically hurt like other people were, but I lived through the history of it. And I thought I had to get involved in a local organization in the NAACP, because we can't let these things that people fought and died for go away. So that's how I got involved. So my journey was a little bit different than yours, because I can assure you, Rose, that there were no pictures of black leaders in any of the Pittston neighborhood that I grew up in. You sent me a message, David, saying that there was a chapter or an attempt to have a chapter in the 30s here? Well, yeah. I mean, the organization started locally here in the 1930s, but it was sporadic. And it wasn't really, really formally gelled together until Audrey Spence moved into this area. And Audrey came into the Wilkes-Barre area and she wanted to rent an apartment. And she was told that she couldn't rent the apartment. And that's what got her involved in forming the NAACP. 
Her sister subsequently, Connie Wynn, became one of the presidents of the NAACP. Do you have a building? Do you have a formal headquarters? Well, not. we don't really have a formal headquarters, but what we did prior to the pandemic was we would meet on college campuses at the Wilkes University, King's College. But the pandemic, when the Zoom meeting started, they became extremely popular because we found that we had more people in attendance at some of our events. Like as an example, we used to do, and we still will be doing, face-to-face political action programs. And that would be like debates between local candidates. And sometimes we'd get 50 or 75 people. Well, in 2019 and 2021, when we had judicial forums, we had more people tuning in on Zoom because of the fact that it was more convenient for them to do it from their own homes. So Zoom has been a blessing to us. I went on to the Facebook page, and you can see that there are postings addressing some of the most recent national events, like the killing of Tyree Nichols. And with those postings, you make sure that we all know where you all are coming from. But I'm interested at the same time, you're an artist, Rose, and I see that there's a big push for community activities, arts, culture that goes in parallel with the political action. Oh, definitely. Um, I, I feel like the relationship between art and our social climate goes hand in hand because art speaks to the people's spirits and souls, just like music has been used in the past to influence movements and art pieces kind of signify what those movements mean to people and people can interpret those meanings. And the way that art plays a part in these important moments in our lives it's, it's the kind of thing that we need to uphold. And that's why it's so important for us to continue to advocate for arts programs to remain in the schools instead of being taken away. You have a poetry group. What's in the hearts, what's in the minds of the young people you work with? What are they exploring in poetry? I started this poetry club with the Youth Drop-In. It's been about a year now, on and off, until we kind of found our space of like working consistently. And I could tell you this, number one, Poetry is about expression, and a lot of our youth have a hard time expressing themselves. And I noticed that because it's kind of difficult for them at first to just say their thoughts on paper. They're like, what? I don't know what that, but poetry, what? Say what I feel, what I feel? And I feel like a lot of our youth kind of struggle with that, just being present with how they feel. Because a lot of times you just, as a, as a young person, you kind of have to go with the flow of, you know, the people that's taking care of you or the people at your school who's telling you what to do. And it's hard to find that space to really just sit with yourself and process the things that you're going through. And a lot of my kids have very deep stories, trauma, just the things that they go through, you know, their families having to work extra hard to maintain a living and these things that sit on their hearts. And besides that, even just internally, you know, a lot of them are reflecting on themselves as people. And this is the the most pivotal time in their growth is where they're just trying to decide, who am I? So I I tend to ask them questions like that. And when we get into our poetry sessions, I'll I'll give them a topic and I'll say, okay, go ahead and write. We got 15 minutes, 20 minutes of silence. Just go write, you know, and sometimes some of them will write one sentence in all that time. But some of them will write a long, long poem of how they feel, something that they wouldn't even want to share because it's that deep to them. So that's kind of what the poetry is creating for them right now, a safe space for them to express themselves. And I think what you had brought up in terms of expressing yourself, 
when my generation thinks poetry, automatically you think, oh my God, I have to rhyme everything. And that's <laughs> not the case. You not want them to share their hearts yeah. and their souls. And that's actually a good point that you brought up because a lot of them did think they had to rhyme for it to be poetry. And I told them, don't focus on the rhyming. But that's getting them to just be comfortable with expressing themselves, right? That's that aspect. But then here's the aspect that I wanted to help them kind of let that expression leave was when we started playing games with rhyming, where we would kind of just have to say things off the top of our heads. You know, let's let's rhyme with each other. Let's go line for line and you just rhyme with my line. And so we play with all of those ideals of, of poetry in that way. And so in the time that you have with them, do you then say, do some of this at home or do they only just do it with you? Oh, at first we were just doing it and just creating that safe space in our program. And I actually bought them all journals. Well, our program bought them the, the journals and we kept them in our facility locked up so nobody would mess with them. And so they they felt safe with it there because when I was a kid, I had an issue where somebody read my personal writings and it kind of could mess with how you feel about expressing yourself in that way. And I wanted them to establish that safety first, that security first with themselves. But then I started letting them take them home when they asked me. I would let them ask me if you want to. And I see you really love expressing yourself. You can take it home. And now we're at a point where we actually, we use this app called Poetizer, which is this cool poetry app where you just write your poetry and you post it. It's like, it's like Instagram for poetry. And so I had all my kids make a profile and we followed each other. And so now they can write whenever they want and we could all read it, you know, and we can come back to it and then the next time that we meet up for our poetry. So it's pretty cool. It, it was a slow transition just to get them one acclimated two, comfortable, and then three, take it with you. Let let poetry live with you. Like you you want to express yourself anytime, anywhere, right on your phone. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's the magic, isn't it? It yeah. is. Tell us what's going to come up the weekend of the 24th, 25th. We have two very cool events that we put together in partnership with the Catholic Youth Center. And one of them is called Dear Black History Month, which the DEAR stands for Drop Everything and Read. It's all about literacy. And we're going to have volunteers from the NAACP and some partnering organizations who send volunteers as well to come read to the students from kindergarten to second grade. And we're going to give them some free books and we're going to have an activity for them to go and do with their classroom groups afterwards as well. And then that's going to be on Friday the 24th. And then on the 25th, we're going to have our Black History Poets Show which is going to be so awesome because my group of youth from the Youth Drop-In Center, it's a program for ages 13 to 18, where we kind of create a safe space and advocate for mental health and well-being in our space with these teens from our local areas. We're actually putting together this show where they get to look up these historical poets and they're going to be reading a poem from from the poets that we, we've we chosen. So mm-hmm. they're working pretty hard right now. And it's going to be at the Gather Community Space in Wilkesbury at 1 p.m. on February 25th. It's going to be a great show. And and again, it's a juxtaposition of the arts, but also what people are available to do in terms of talent-wise. And also trying to get younger people in to make sure and make certain that they know that um, our organization is accepting to their art 
Because you know, Eric, as well as the two of us, that sometimes when a new genre comes along, all, all of a sudden there's a wall up and saying, well, I'm not going to listen to this or I'm not going to be part of this. And then all of a sudden, the more you hear it and the more you're exposed to it, then you have not only an acceptance of it, but you have a liking of it. And that's what we hope to do with the poetry and with the reading, but also to attract younger people because our leadership we're of a certain age. I think our branch right now is in transition where we're trying to get younger people involved. The people who were in their 30s in the 1990s, we want people in their 20s and 30s this year to become those people to carry on the branch well into the century. So I think it's important that we, you know, we reach out to artists and also develop a new way of thinking in terms of what's acceptable entertainment. The Grammys, when I was growing up, were way different than the Grammys of Rose's generation has. And you kind of have to meld both of them in order to make an organization stronger. And one of the things that Rose is also going to be involved in toward the end of the year is the Freedom Fund Banquet. The Freedom Fund Banquet is one of the biggest fundraisers that the NAACP Wilkes-Barre branch has. And so we're, we're going to see a little bit of a different take on the Freedom Fund Banquet with her leading it. Oh, yes. I'm very excited about that. Now, what about the political side of the NAACP? Is it education? Is it active work on housing? Is it a blend? Well, it's really a blend. You know, we are not a political organization. However, we give people information about their candidates. And Bill Brown, who's our current president, is a person who was part of the government policy committee, if you will, the uh, voter registration. He's done a lot of work with voter registration. And the political programs that we've done in the past have been Zoom meetings and also face-to-face meetings where we had candidates come at the uh, Mount Zion Church and at the King's College and Wilkes University to express themselves in debates. And It's more informational in nature. We don't get involved in a presidential election or anything like that, any gubernatorial elections, but we certainly do provide information and we are also on it in terms of voter registration. Because you win legislation victories like you did with the landmark legislation of civil rights. You do that by electing a coalition of people who are like-minded. And I fear sometimes what's happening in our culture, sometimes we're so divided at this point. You have one side that's against, that wants to take us back to the 1950s, and then you have another side that basically is a little more progressive. And once in a while they meet, but they haven't met in a long time. And so our goal as a branch is to educate, not necessarily take sides. How about membership? Do you have a sense of how large your membership is these days? Well, right now, I I think we're closing in on 100 members. Right now, our website is under construction. We had a website, but we're trying to enhance that a little bit more to become more proactive and reach more people. The membership, we're always looking for new members. The issue sometimes with members is you could have, I belong to another organization that has like 500 members, but at every meeting, you have the same 12 or 15 people to show up. And so what we're looking 
looking for is we're not only looking for quantity, but we're also looking for quality. We want members who want to hit the ground running and work with us and be part of the organization so that we don't have like maybe nine people showing up at a meeting. We have maybe 20 or 30 people showing up at a meeting. And so they could become members by, you know, reaching out to us on the Facebook page or else our email address too. Yes, we just posted the links to sign up. We're making the process a lot easier for our community to sign up and join our organization. And I will just say this as the youth council chair, (laughs) we are definitely, definitely looking for youth to get involved. The younger, the better. That's our future. And I'm very passionate about getting our youth, their voices heard, their hearts pumped up and, you know, exhilarated to to be a part of something like the NAACP is an opportunity that is just irreplaceable. Rose Daniels, second vice president, and David Yonkai, first vice president of the Wilkes-Barre branch of the NAACP, speaking about the history of the NAACP, the mission of the Wilkes-Barre chapter, and some of the events that will be offered during Black History Month. This Friday, February 24th, at 4 in the afternoon, it's Dear, Drop Everything and Read, taking place at the Catholic Youth Center, 36 South Washington Street in Wilkes-Barre at the CYC Library. A youth story time on Martin Luther King Jr. will be held with a focus on children K through second grade and a donated book, Martin Luther King Jr., A Peaceful Leader from Harper Collins, will be given to the participants. That's this Friday afternoon at 4. And then Saturday, as we heard, it's the first annual Black History Poets Show, and it's presented by the CYC Youth Drop-In Center at the Gather Space, 97 South Franklin Street in Wilkes-Barre. Again, it's at 1 o'clock. Also on Monday, February 27th at 5, it's a screening of the movie The Great Debaters at the Oosterhout Library, South Franklin Street in Wilkes-Barre. That's the Wilkes-Barre branch of the NAACP with Black History Month events. Friday at the Catholic Youth Center, it's a youth story time and a literacy event. And Saturday the 25th at 1 in the afternoon, the first annual Black History Poets Show presented by the CYC Youth Drop-In Center at the Gathering Space, 97 South Franklin Street in Wilkes-Barre. As Dave Yonkai tells us, it's set back from the street, so you just look to the back at 97 South Franklin Street and you can find it. And then on the 27th of February, Monday at 5, a screening of the movie The Great Debaters at the Oosterhout Library, South Franklin Street. You can find the NAACP Wilkes-Barre Branch 2306 on Facebook, and you can also send them an email, which is, if you're ready, WBNAACP2306 at gmail.com. WBNAACP2306 at gmail.com. We didn't have a chance to talk to Rose Daniels about her visual arts. She is a poet, but she's also a visual artist. And we can see her work in an exhibition titled Voices Carry from March 3rd to April 4th at the Poor Coffee House, P-O-U-R Coffee House, 53 Main Street in Wilkes-Barre. And she and a number of students from the Luzerne County Community College Art Department will be 
on display March 3rd to April 1st at the POUR, P-O-U-R, Coffee House on Main Street in Wilkes-Barre 53. And for more information, you can check the Luzerne County Community College website.